Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be in your house, to gather together, to worship you. Thank you for a beautiful morning, a beautiful opportunity. We thank you for your word this powerful. Lord, may it speak into our lives this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. The passage this, this morning is Esther chapter 1. Did anybody read this week? I'm going to... Good job, lots of hands, that's good. Uh, I'm going to ask that every week, so if you want to be like the cool kids. And for those of you who are obstinate, just to be obstinate, I'm going to tell you, you're not allowed to read Esther, so I dare you, the triple dog dare you to read Esther. And for those who didn't have a chance to read it, we're going to read it this morning. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretched from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susil. In the third year of the reign, he had given the banquet for his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media and the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people, from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of uh, puffery and marble and mother of pearl and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man as he wished. Queen Vashti was also had given a banquet for the women of the royal palace. Of King Xerxes. And on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him Memon, Biztha, Harbana, Bigtha, Abatha, Zethar, and Carcass to bring before him King Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. And since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times who were closest to the king. Karshana, Sethar, Adnatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marshena, and Memekin, the seven nobles of Persian media who had special access to the king or highest in the kingdom. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of the king Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but against all the nobles and peoples of the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all women 
so that they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to the disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let us... Let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be revealed. The Vashti is to never again enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her a royal position to someone who is better than she. Then when the king's edict was proclaimed throughout the vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with his advice. So the king did as Memekin proposed. He sent dispatches to all the parts of the kingdom, to each providence in his own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. May God add his blessing as we continue to sing this morning. This morning. Thank you for this place. Thank you for your, your love and care over our lives. We thank you for hearing our cries of help. And responding in the best way. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities you put in front of us. May we recognize your hand in our life as it works behind the scenes. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a child, you can child or children or church or... something. All right, so last week we started with the intro to Esther, and I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, that each week we'll be reading one chapter of Esther. Uh, Today's was actually longer than most. Some of them are... uh, I think 30 verses is by far the longest one, but the rest of them are uh, in the 20s or less. And so I want to encourage you uh, to, to go along with us. Uh, if you weren't here or don't remember, I, I, you will not see the word God in this, uh, in this book, which is intriguing, interesting to me. And yet God's hand is all over it. His fingers, his fingerprints all around it. He's working in and behind the scenes. What do we call that? Providence, right? If you don't learn another word in church on Sunday, God's providence, right? His providence. What is providence? Brian Renner, what is providence? Yes, exactly. Thank you, Brian. No one else had the guts to say it, Brian. (laughs) You might have to walk home, but other than that, you'll be all right. <laughs> I'll take you home. Dude. <laughs> he was prepared to say Rhode Island. <laughs> Providence, right? Providence is God's constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his, his people. His fingerprints on our lives, his desire for us, 
in our minds, what he's doing behind the scenes. All too often, and in this week's passage, when the world is upside down and backwards, we struggle to find God in that. When things aren't going as planned, or as, I, as we have planned, we begin to, begin to believe that maybe God isn't there anymore, or that he doesn't care anymore. Or maybe he's forgotten about us. When our health is deteriorating, when our relationships are breaking, when our finances are tanking, when things are not going to plan, we're quick to ask ourselves, I know we are, where is God in that situation? Where is God's providence? Does he really want to provide for me? Does he really care about me? If you, did, if you heard in the countdown, the one thing I really appreciated about the countdown was this idea that when things are going well, we're quick to praise God. But when things are going rough, we have a harder time praising God in the rough times. It's sometimes not that easy when things are going the wrong way. We begin this, this journey through Esther. By the way, if, if there's, hopefully there's some out there, I don't know. There, was there? Were there a few? Okay. Thank you for those who brought, borrowed them and brought them back. There are Esther DVDs out there from Sight and Sound. I want to encourage you to watch it, uh, uh, to enjoy the story of Esther, the, the whole idea of Esther uh, is, a, is a really cool story. There's good guys and bad guys. There's a lot of drama, a lot of things going on. Anyway, they're out there. Feel free to take them. The only thing I ask is just watch them this week, bring them back so someone else can watch them so that we can keep that rolling. If you want, you can look up sightandsound.com. They have a download. I think it costs like 10 bucks if you want to down, if you're able to download it and watch it that way if you can't get a DVD. But the reality is this, I want you to get into the story, to begin to understand the story, what's going on in this story. We begin this journey called Esther in a very precarious position, a time in history where God's people had been previously dispersed, pushed away, chased out of their homeland, forced to live as refugees in a foreign land. They weren't faithful to God, and they got pushed out. They were paying the dividends of their sins. The time is about 483 B.C., and geographically this would be in Iran, in what they called in the Old Testament Persia at that time. But it would have been in and around Iran. And Xerxes was the king. He was ruler of half of the known world at that time. 127 provinces, about 50 million people. This story begins with three parties, if you didn't notice. The first party, a 180-day party. Anybody had a 180-day party? How do you even hang with a 180-day party? That's a long time. That's six months. Six months where Xerxes was bringing in 
the rulers and the nobles, the people from those other provinces, bringing them in and making plans, making plans to take over more, to begin a war, to take over more property, more peoples. He was building political capital. By design, he allowed them uh, to drink all they could drink, to eat all they could eat, to enjoy themselves. Why? Because he needed those people as he began or would begin to go to war. At the end of that, there was a seven-day feast probably to thank the people who had worked for the 180-day feast, right? All the people who lived within the city, they got a feast as well. And then the women, uh, a separate feast. There was a lot of partying going on. It was an odd time. An odd time for the Jews, as some of them had already left. If you want to get a chance to get a sense of what's going on, read Ezra. Uh, Esther, they, they figure it's about between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, somewhere in that. Uh, it's kind of like in that, in that spot uh, in history. Some of the Jews had already gone back. And they were going back to rebuild the wall, right? They were going home. They had gotten money, finances, and uh, God had made a way for them to begin to go back and fulfill God's promise to rebuild, they ended up going in waves. There were like three waves of people, uh, Jewish people going back. But we don't get a sense in this story, and we haven't met all the characters, but we're about to meet the characters uh, in this story. The Jews, they were aliens in a foreign land. There's Xerxes and Vashti, the king and the queen of Persia. There's Mordecai, which we will meet next week, and Esther or Hadassah, as the Jews called her. They were cousins. By the way, Esther means star. She ends up being the star of the show. There's a bad guy. Anybody know the bad guy's name? Haman. He's a bad guy. There's a couple other bad guys, but he's one of them. He's the main bad guy in the character. There's also the host of other characters in the in the story who play lesser roles there's the eunuchs there's these uh, nobles that uh, there's a couple guys who get impaled that's a rough day it's, it's a pretty interesting story overall <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah this is not the veggie tale version i agree with you yeah it's a little bit different version you may be asking yourself how does god work how does God work in the midst of things that seem so upside down? Oh, by the way, that's, I drew that. No, just kidding. <laughs> I met Xerxes. No, just kidding. How does God work in the midst of what seems so backwards and upside down? How does he work in that situation and bring good out of something that we may see as bad J. Vernon McGee says that Mordecai wasn't following God in any way, shape, or form. He was really a pretty weak Jew at the time. Now he does come around, maybe because he wants to spare his own life. 
but they're hanging out in Persia, going through their every day. Get up, do your job, do the next thing, go to bed, get up. They're just kind of walking through life. And Xerxes has this party, this huge party. Day after day after day. Months of party. Some interesting pieces to the party. The historians say that once the party got rolling, the reason the women probably weren't there was because they were drinking. And if the women stayed, good chance they would have been accosted um, or at least harassed. And so a lot of times the women would leave and the concubines would be the ones that rolled in. And you can just imagine what was going on in these parties. There was a free-for-all. It speaks volumes as to why maybe the queen, when given the opportunity, stood her ground. Each person had a gold goblet, their own gold goblet. Did it have their name inscribed on it? I don't know. But everybody had their own. And there was never-ending tab. Drink until you couldn't drink anymore. It's fair to say that there was a lot of things going on that got out of hand. The culture of that day would have said that the women would have wore full face coverings. Now, mind you, this is before the Muslims, but the mindset is similar. They would veil their faces from their eyes down. Cover their heads. And they would wear garbage bags so that no one knew what their body type, body shape was. And it was to protect them. One, to protect them. Two, that it was, it was a sign of decency so that the only person that really saw who they were was their husband. We don't have much problem in America today with that. Women's and men's roles were much different then. If you didn't get a sense of that, I think I, I felt like uh, there was a real sense of like women might speak up if we don't do anything. Jay Vernon says, Meekum or whatever his name is, probably was a real mousy, milk toast kind of guy who couldn't stand up to his own wife. I don't know if that's true, uh, but I like his perspective. Uh, it's an interesting perspective. So where is God's providence in this week's chapter? Where is God working behind the scenes? Where is God doing something for God's people, even when they're not looking for it, or not looking for Him, or not even stretching their hand out? The very first thing I, I see is that he's, He is in tune with their life and with our life. He's in tune with them. He knows what's going on in their life. He realizes, even though they've turned their back, even though they're just doing life, they haven't made the opportunity to return. They haven't followed God. He knows their every moment. He knows who they are. He has made a point to set the stage to protect them. 
God knows that Vashti will turn her back on Xerxes and walk away. Today's passage, we don't know why. If you're spoiler alert, there's going to be a beauty pageant. That's next week. But God had set in motion this plan, this direction. He has set in motion to protect his people. A situation that we would have a hard time finding good in. Why? Because he knows us all too well. I want you to open your, your scripture. I want you to open your Bible. If you have your Bible, bring it, open it up. I want you to read, I want to read this with you. I don't want to just gloss over this. Psalm 139, 1 through 6. I want you to hear this. And the reason I want you to hear this and read this, I want you to, to ingrain this in your minds. I want you to memorize this verse. I think one of the things that I appreciate about Mark's reading the Psalms is that they're so powerful to come back to memory when we have learned them. Psalm 139.1, it says, You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Do you get a sense that God knows who you are? That God knows all about what you have said. God knows where you go and when you're coming back. God knows everything about you. If you get a chance, read all of Psalm 139. Uh, it goes down in uh, verse 15 or 16. It says, uh, I, I, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's kind of like the culmination of all what's going on in, that, in Psalm 139. Powerful passage. Scripture says that he knows the hairs on our head. I wonder if he knows how many gray ones some of us got. He knows the very hairs on our head. He knows us. He cares so much about us that he has placed in front of us a, a path, a plan. Well, lots of people stole my thunder, but that's okay. I still like them. Wednesday, night, Wednesday uh, morning was a pretty powerful morning. When my wife did her, her discussion about sin, all those kids wrote on a little post-it note, a sin. And they got put on the cross. There was a cross up here. And they recognized their need for a Savior. And it was pretty powerful for those kids who stayed back. Pretty brave for those young people who made a profession of faith. And God knew ahead of time that our faithfulness, however many years ago, to begin the program to bring kids from a school, from the public school setting, into the church to give them the gospel, would bear fruit. 
I can promise you there have been a, probably hundreds of hours in preparation over the years. Meetings after meetings. Sometimes it felt very daunting. We had weeks, we had months where the bus forgot to show up. We had months where it snowed. We had months, we had all kinds of, we had COVID where they shut down. They wouldn't let us, we weren't allowed to get the kids out. We had all kinds of chaos. All kinds of God's providence to keep moving forward. To keep moving forward for those six young people who came to Christ on Wednesday. To keep working in that direction. Let me, un- let me help you understand. There's one child, I think, there's one child who comes to church on Sunday morning in that group. One. One child who comes on Sunday morning in that group. That's a ministry to those who are not in these four walls. Wednesday night, probably two-thirds of those kids do not step foot in this church on a Sunday morning. That's a ministry outside these four walls. An opportunity to share the gospel with people other than who come in here on a Sunday morning. You need to understand, church, that that's an important part of our ministry. Important opportunity for us to grow. An important opportunity for you to be involved. This is what God has put in front of us. He has provided an opportunity. It bothers me when I can't find someone for nursery. It bothers me when I can't find a Sunday school teacher. It bothers me when we don't have VBS uh, leaders or people to lead an adult Sunday school. It bothers me. It's not an option. It's a part of your faith. It's a part of the Great Commission. I am so thankful for those who give. But the challenge on the other side of this is Step into your faith. Pew's nice and comfortable. I sat at a wedding yesterday uh, at uh, Christ the King Chapel, which is the Mercyhurst Chapel. And it, uh, I think they told me it was built in 1933. And in about five minutes, my wife said, these are pretty not, not comfortable, huh? And they were real tall back, straight back, you know, 90 degree angle pews. And this crossed my mind. Maybe we should take out all these cozy pews and put some of those in there. Church, we have a responsibility. God is working in and around. And if you're already involved in the ministry in this church, please hear me. I am thankful for what you're doing. I'm not begging you to do something more. What I'm asking is for those who are not involved in anything at this point, who aren't sharing their faith with people outside these four walls. I can't find it in Scripture where that's a good thing. That's what's going on in this passage. Mordecai and uh, Esther are just kind of rolling in life. And things are not going the right direction. God has called us 
to share the gospel. I am thankful for those who are here monthly for Kingdom Explorers. Those who give up their vacation time. They don't go to work so they can be here to minister to people. To their detriment, they share the gospel. And you can say, well, it's only vacation. You're right, it's only vacation. They didn't give their life. But they give more, they give their time, their energy, month after month, to share love to those who need it. Vacation Bible School is coming. And I don't know, I think we're in pretty good shape people-wise this year. But if you're interested, talk to Cindy, talk to me, I'll, we'll get you hooked up. Even if it's just crowd control for the youth. Which means all you do is go in and hang out with youth and keep them from stabbing each other with scissors or pencils or what? Sharp objects, Sharp objects yeah. Or <laughs> We need those people to come alongside. We need those people to be involved. Sitting in the pew is not enough. Let God use you. He's been working in and around you. He says he wants to work in our current situation. Right where we are today. He wants to work in our scars and our scabs and our mess. Our struggles and our pain, our hurts. He's working in the midst of all of that. He's not asking you to get it all sorted out and then come. He's asking you to serve in the midst of those painful, hard things. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him. He asked one thing, love him. I heard a great story this week that reminded me that we don't have to wait until we're perfect to be on a mission for God. He's not asking for us to be perfect. He's asking us to give, to be open and willing. He will meet us in that moment. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men. He puts those things in front of us. Why? Because He knows what's best for us, and He loves us, and He wants to make it work for us. He knows what glorifies him and honors him. And he puts that in front of us. And all too often we're, we're quick to, to forget. We're quick to, to realize that God is working in the, in the midst. We would have a hard time figuring out how Queen Vashti is doing God's work if all we read was chapter 1. But hang on, we'll see how God is using Queen Vashti's situation in God's people. God will sustain you. He will hold you up. 
we realize that a couple things about the party that Xerxes was having. It says he was in high spirits. He was drunk as a skunk with all his buddies that'd been drinking for however long. And in the midst of that, Xerxes in his mind and his pride, whatever it was, decided that he was going to show off his wife. Seems to be that in the scripture that she was probably a pretty attractive queen. The culture said that's not something we do. And yet Xerxes, obviously in his drunken stupidity, felt like that he could force his wife to expose herself. Whether that meant some slinky dress, or as some commentators say, and the scripture says that she was supposed to come out in her crown with the intent, the understanding that there's a good chance Xerxes was asking her to wear only her crown. That she was going to be paraded around as his trophy wife. Whichever side you take is fine with me. It doesn't say, it does say that she was asked to wear her crown. And in the midst of that, Vashti had a a decision to make. Do I listen to my Lord and King and do something that goes against my value system, that goes against all I am, or do I take a chance and there's a really a good chance she could have been killed right then. She may have been at some point. We don't really know what happens. But she put her life on the line to make the best decision for what would honor, be honorable to her. She refuses to go. She refuses to do the thing that she knows is wrong, even if it's going to cost her. And in that piece, we see God's hand protecting her. God's hand directing her. God moving her. And making a way for an upcoming beauty pageant that would spare God's people. A beauty pageant, of all things. Is our God interested in beauty pageants? I don't think so. But our God is interested in sparing his people, in loving his people, in caring for his people. And I'm convinced as I read scripture that he will use anything to move people. Do you know the story about Balaam's donkey? Yeah. I'll leave it there. If you don't, it's a great story. It's one of my favorites. I think I actually preached that when I, the, when I candidated for uh, associate pastor. That's pretty ridiculous. It came to mind. It's a great story if you haven't read it. 
God will use anything to protect and spare his people. The storms of life he will use to draw his people close to himself. It's important to remember that God has not forgotten you, no matter where you're at this morning. No matter where you're at this morning, no matter what you've been through, what you've walked through, the challenges of your life, the struggles of even maybe getting here this morning, of getting out of bed, of being willing to be involved, the opportunity to take a chance on God. His providence working in and around us, behind us, behind the scenes. What is the providence in your life? What does it look like in your own life? Have you allowed Jesus to come in? Have you allowed Jesus to take over, to be involved in the decisions of your life? Have you allowed Him to make a difference? Or is it in and out? You know, the, the idea of I'll, I'll let him have some, but not all. And then when I don't know if I'm comfortable with what he does, I'll pull my part back. Will you give him your life? Give him an opportunity to work in your life. His providence is working now. You're not here as a coincidence. You're not listening to this as a coincidence. You're working through. God is already working through that plan in your life. He's calling us, each one of us. Our time is short. We were at that wedding yesterday. Uh, Congratulations to Nolan uh, and Sarah Beardsley. Uh, That's Amy and Brian's son, Nolan. And there's that great, that great dance. You know the dance where everybody who's married gets to go on the, on the dance floor and they play a song. And you know how it works, right? Anybody who's been married for three years, get out of here, right? And the joke is, my wife and I, the joke is, hey, we're making it longer these days. But I don't know if I want to make it to be the longest one. I'm not sure. There was a couple yesterday. It was awesome. Uh, I think it was Sarah's grandparents. Anyway, 65 years married. They got on the dance floor, and I'm not sure how they got there. And they were moving like this. It was so, it was so special. 65 years. Are you willing to serve God? And to let Him work in your life? And to allow His providence change who you are. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that even in the hard times, when life is backwards, when things aren't going well, Lord, when we see uh, Jews living in a place uh, they really ought not be at that point, and uh, they're doing life trying to figure it out, and Lord, they don't even recognize your hand in the situation. We watch your hand unravel this mess. They were just regular people. 
going about regular life. And you stepped in and turned it upside down. Lord, we stand here this morning recognizing that we are just regular people doing regular life. And we recognize that your providence continues to work in and around us. Lord, I can't help but think about those six souls on Wednesday who you knew about five or six years ago when we started Kingdom Explorers. When, when we began with just an idea, just a thought, just trying to figure it out. That was our hope. There's been a lot of bumps and bruises and hard times in the process. I won't soon forget the very first one where there was one kid, one young man who showed up. And we were devastated. But in that, your providence shined through. And through those people who have continued to work tirelessly, six souls will spend eternity in heaven with you. And Lord, if that's the only six souls we were ever to have, it'd still be worth it. Thank you for the opportunities you've put in our path. Maybe we'd be faithful, faithful to follow them through, knowing full well that you have a plan set in front of us. In your name we pray. Amen.